This is the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by The Peers Project. Hello, peers. Welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. Peers speaking, peers listening. This is a conversation for you. I'm your host, Michelle Akitanor, founder of The Peers Project, millennial entrepreneur, world traveller, podcast expert, and forever your fellow passionate peer. Each week, I invite inspiring millennial entrepreneurs from around the globe to chat with me. No filters, just real talk, peer-to-peer. Together, we unpack what it takes to go your own way and why there's nothing better. As always, thank you for listening. If you enjoy our podcast, please do pass it on. The more peers, the merrier. Hello, my peers, and welcome to this week's episode of the Peers Project Podcast. Today, I'm so excited to share with you all the conversation I had with today's guest on a topic that I consider to be one of the most important, and that is failure. So many of us, my peers, are consciously or unconsciously scared of failing. It's why we often pick the easiest path or just follow the status quo. You know, biologically, this makes sense because failure is often linked to our survival mentality. We think that if we fail, it'll be the end of the world. So why bother even trying? But as our guest today reveals, failure is vital to living a fulfilling life. So who is today's guest? Who is this week's brilliant young entrepreneur I'm talking about? Well, he's the Forbes 30 Under 30 nominee all the way from Santa Monica in the US, James Heller. James is the co-founder and CEO of Rapify, a company that enables brands of Fortune 500 companies like Google and Microsoft to advertise on people's cars. Yes, It's a super cool concept, my peers. In this week's episode, James empowers us all to just get over our fears and fail. Rather than living a risk-free life, James uses his own stories of failure to reveal how mastering the art of failing can lead to fulfillment and ultimately abundance. So if you're wondering how to overcome your setbacks Find out what fulfills you and how to take hold of your vision. This episode is a must listen. As always, my peers, make sure to take a screenshot of today's episode, upload to your Instagram story and tag the Peers Project and Rapify so that we know you're listening in. Okay, that is it, my peers. Without further ado, here is my conversation with the brilliant James. Hello. James, welcome to the Peers Project. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Thank you for having me. Of course. So, you know, you and I connected recently on LinkedIn and after a bit of back and forth and and whatnot, we've we've made it here to today's interview. So I'm super excited for it. And I came across you and your work through the um, Forbes 30 Under 30 list. Um, and I had looked into you and what you were doing, and I was super intrigued and wanted to learn more about it. So I, I really appreciate your willingness to come on the show. Yeah, definitely. Excited. Awesome. Cool. So before we dive into your work, 
I want to start with a question that I've often found to be very insightful and revealing, and that is, where did you grow up and how has this impacted the choices you've made in your life and in your career so far? Well, that's, that's, that's actually really interesting. So I grew up in San Diego. Uh, I was named after the city. The, you know, action sports, um, which kind of led into motorsport and my passion for, you know, cars and, and racing that, that all like that, that combined with my passion for marketing, um, kind of came together and kind of resulted in the beginnings of the idea for Rapify. Awesome. Cool. Okay. So if we go back to, to James, the early years, you're growing up in San Diego, San Diego, you love cars, all of that marketing, passion for marketing. Look, where did that stem from? Was it, you know, was it in your family that, you know, everyone kind of loved cars and all that or, you know, where did it come from for you? Uh, it definitely wasn't really part of my family. Like neither my mom or my dad were like into cars or anything like that. They're both into academia. Um, you know, I was not an academic honor by any stretch of the imagination. So like action sports, so skateboarding, surfing, um, racing BMX, mountain biking, motocross, like all that kind of stuff. That was what I cared about the most. Um, and then my entrepreneurial spirit got sparked when I was really, really young. And my, my, my dad really, uh, kind of helped, uh, you know, not, not, not necessarily guide, but enable it. Like he, he didn't resist it and he's fully supported me like l- liking to sell stuff on eBay when I was like a child, um, you know, that kind of stuff. So I think, you know, create my passion for tech also is super early on because I didn't really fit in with specific groups of kids. I was, I was sort of athletic, but not really a team sports player. I was super into, you know, skateboarding and surfing and that kind of stuff. But I was also like super into computers. Like I was, I was totally enamored with computers when I was really, really young. I was kind of the byproduct of Apple's um, marketing and trying to infiltrate schools. Like when I was, when I was in, in uh, elementary school, you know, Apple spent a lot of money getting, making sure the Apple II and, and some of the you know, early Macintosh computers were in all elementary and middle schools. So, you know, that, and, uh, you know, it was also kind of an oddity to be a Mac user when I was growing up. Like now it's kind of funny to say it, but, um, you know, when I was growing up, there was a San Diego Mac users group where like people would get together every month and talk about Mac stuff, which was, it's funny because today, like everybody's got an Apple device in their pocket for the most part. So it's kind of funny to even talk about, but yeah, there used to be these user groups and I was like, I was one of the youngest members of the, of the San Diego Mac users group and I was like 10 years old. So I think that, that environment, like the environment to be outside being creative with, you know, these different type of athletic outlets like skateboarding and surfing, and then also having a passion for tech super early on. I think both those things kind of just created like the foundational roots for why tech entrepreneurship is even part of my life. Mm. I love that. And I love how you said that like your dad kind of pushed didn't push you, but like supported you throughout this whole process. What does he do? Like what was his, he was an academic you mentioned, you know, did did he ever have an interest in tech or anything or he was just kind of happy that you did and and pushed you to do it? 
Well, yeah, my, my dad, you know, he has a master's in, in education, but he's a real estate, he's a real estate broker. So like, so, so selling is, is part of his life, but like both my mom and my dad are super, super highly educated people. You know, I'm a college dropout. So it's, you know, that, that topic that didn't come up in, in a lot of conversations growing up, but you know, that, that was like, and I never, I knew that like going the academic route was not for me. Um, so I think the, you know, the, when I say he was supportive, I think the, the best thing that he did was he showed me, he didn't show me how to do anything, but he gave, he made sure I had the tools to figure it out. Um, so, so whether he like, you know, whether it was, well, I, I wasn't going to him and looking at him as an example of how to do certain things. He was just kind of like, you know, here's power tools, like go build, go build whatever you want to build. Like don't cut yourself. You know, here's, here's a, a Mac with, you know, all the software you need to edit skate videos and do that kind of stuff. So it wasn't like, it wasn't like he was showing me how to do this stuff or leading by example. He was just kind of like, here are the tools. Like if you fail while using those tools, we'll figure it out, you know? And I think that, that is, is so important f- for entrepreneurs because, you know, there isn't, academia doesn't really structure learning uh, in a way that's really uh, applicable to being an entrepreneur for a couple of reasons. It actually discourages it because failure is discouraged. And in real life, like failure is the best teacher. The only way I learn is by trying really hard, failing, figuring out what I did wrong and then doing better. And that's not really like, that's not how, that's not how you know, school works. Right. So that was, that was what I was drawn to. I loved breaking shit and fixing shit and then figuring out how to do it better. So I love it. It's so funny yeah. because on your LinkedIn, I have stalked you. Um, you say relentlessly persistent. I love speed, going fast, blowing shit up and the future and the sharing gig economy. So it's funny that you mentioned that there because it's literally aligned with what you say online. Um, okay, cool. So talk to us a bit about, talk to us a bit about that transition of, you know, going to university, knowing that the school system wasn't for you, but just kind of almost just following what everyone else does going there and that, that, that decision to kind of drop out and, you know, do your own thing. Like what, you know, what was that like for you? Sure. I think before I even get into that, the first thing I would say is if anybody thinks that dropping out and like being an entrepreneur is an easier path, like definitely, <laughs> definitely not. Like it's definitely not. It's way easier to go through school, get a, get a good education, get a really high paying job and then climb the ladder. That's a better, more safe path. Um, but for, for me, I think I, I worked through school. Like I, I always had a full-time job and school was the thing I did at night for the most part. Um, and you know, I, I started to have like a real, and I got value out of it. I I mean, I, I got a lot of value out of it. I got value out of some of the professors I had were exceptional professionals before being involved in academia. And those were the ones that I was drawn to because I just, I believed them. And then, you know, I believed everything they were saying because they were talking from experience. So that was really cool. Um, on the flip side, I had some professors that like never left academia and were teaching me about things that I was doing for a living and were just so far behind. And I was like, why am I paying this? Why am I sitting here? Right. Um, so, you know, I think there was that there was like, okay, I realized that 
there's some professors that I just like, I just couldn't even listen to because I just, I didn't care. I didn't care what they had to say because all they did was go from school to school to school to becoming a professor. Um, but I think the, the thing that really broke it down for me was, um, I was already, uh, I was already a professional and I was already at a, I was at a point in my career where if I were to have the, an educate, if I were to have a bachelor's degree in, in business with an emphasis in management information systems, which was what my, my major was, it wouldn't make a difference like at all. And it was, and it was starting to impede my ability to earn because I was actually doing pretty well, like in my early twenties and my late teens, early twenties, like I bought my first house when I was 22 and, uh, it was, you know, I was like, why, why am I even doing this? Like that was, that was really what it came down to. It was like, why, why am I sitting here doing this? I'm, I'm, I'm wasting time and I'm not able to earn. And I was also not doing very, I wasn't learning. I was just going, going, going through the motions. Like I wasn't there to learn anything. I was going there to go get a piece of paper to help validate who I am so I could go earn more money. And I was already doing that. So I was, it was really conflicting. Like it, the thing that really bothered me the most and the thing that was, that actually affected me the most was because both of my parents were, you know, believed in academia. I was really doing it for my parents and I was really doing it to make sure that they were like proud of me. And, uh, that's such a stupid reason to waste time doing something that doesn't like, that doesn't help you. Cause it, ultimately like, if you're not happy, like, fuck your parents, <laughs> like fuck what your parents think of you. Like if you're not happy and you're not having a fulfilling life, like that's, you know, that's, that's way more important. Um, so yeah, I think that that's, you know, that's kind of what's led to what, what led to this, right? Mm -hmm. Like why, why become an entrepreneur? I think mm -hmm. the other thing that you also, a lot of entrepreneurs will learn is like, as you climb the ladder and as you start to realize that, um, there's, you know, there's only a, there's only a level of autonomy you could have in your life. If, if it's your, if you're driving your goal forward with a, with your own business, mm -hmm. like you're ultimately somebody's slave until then, uh, in some cases, you know, in some cases, if you're not doing what you absolutely love and you're just doing it for a paycheck, it's, uh, it's really hard to do that. So, you know, that, I, I, I already, you know, up until a certain point, I've proven to myself that I have the ability to earn as much as I want to earn by working for somebody, but that stock that became less and less fulfilling. And, um, I've always loved entrepreneur. I always had an entrepreneurial spirit. Like I was doing a lot of things. Like I started my own consulting gig when I was a teenager, mm -hmm. you know, like I, I worked for myself in the very, very beginning. Um, and I knew what that felt like. I knew what it felt like to create value from like just thin air, like just from like sheer, just spending time and effort on your brand. And, uh, yeah, so I, you know, had a bunch of, had a bunch of really good, good jobs, um, you know, career in, in marketing, in technology. And, um, uh, I had this, this idea that just kept kind of eating away at me. And, uh, you know, is it the rise of the gig economy, the, you know, Uber and Lyft were just, uh, you know, picking up steam, starting to raise real capital. And I was like, wow, this is really amazing. Like the gig economy, the sharing economy, just mo mobile technology, all these, all these things were, were happening. 
And it kind of created this environment for um, the right time and right place. And that's, I think, another really important component in being a startup founder is there are a lot of great uh, business ideas that just can't be executed because the timing's off. And, and that's something that, you know, commonly is ignored, but like there, there was a company, there were several companies that tried doing similar things to Rapify before us, but the gig economy didn't really exist. Like the social acceptance of, you know, using your car to go pick up a stranger and drive them from point A to point B by paying with your phone. That wasn't, that was like a crazy idea before it became, you know, and I, you know, a, just a reality for the masses. Like today, it's totally normal. Like it's totally, totally okay to have some yeah. random person pick you up and get from point A to point B. You know, even even talking about today, it's like, wow, that sounds crazy if you really break it down. But yeah, so like the social acceptance of that, Android and iOS, uh, just the hardware and the phones, um, you know, the SDKs, all the ecosystem of 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 third party software providers to help certain parts of the business where a hardware providers all that stuff's like all the parts were on the table and it, and that was when i was like okay the parts are on the table like somebody just needs to assemble them and go to market with a really strong brand and they'll win and, and that's kind of you know that's that's that was the like you you get this um and it's every every entrepreneur will know exactly what i'm talking about but you'll have this like vision and it's it's like the brightest light being shined in your face like it's just so obvious you can't ignore it like there's no there's it's just it's like the it's just totally clear to you completely 100% clear you totally see it's not a dream it's like there it's real like now it's just time for you to build it and um a lot of people who have that they get that vision just don't do anything with it they go oh, it's and then just go back to work and hate their life and that's pretty sad. It's a pretty sad reality. But, um, but yeah, I mean, that was kind of, that was it. And we started it. We got a lot of traction. We, you know, the thing we had to do first was prove that the supply side of our business was viable. Do, would people want to do this? You know, would regular everyday consumer drivers want to do this? And that was like, okay, that was obvious. You know, that was the easiest part. Um, and then we had to figure out, like, will brands pay for this? Like, will brands actually like, will the demand side work? And we, that was, I mean, that's and to this day is still the most challenging, but you know, we, we, we had early traction in seeing like, yeah, brands would pay for this. Um, and what do they want? And what are the brands like, what do they want from a data and measurement standpoint? Like, what do they need? And that my background in marketing and running and working in all these different ad platforms really helped uh, guide the vision for the product for our ad product, because like I knew what I had to report to my CFO. Like I knew what I had to be able to report on to my direct boss. You know, so that, that, that knowledge base, understanding how to use ad platforms and being familiar with like what an ad platform, a widely accepted ad platform should look like and feel like, like all that came into creating our initial product. And then it was just assembling the team, right? Like first thing I did was have, I had to find a technical, technical co-founder, somebody who could help me develop the platform because at our core, we're, we're a platform business. And that was actually really hard. That was, that, was, that was one of the hardest things, like trying to convince somebody 
to join you on this vision that you're having before you've raised any capital. It's that is like probably one of the hardest things you could do because you're you have nothing to promise them other than like, here's a really strong vision. Help me build this. And then together we'll be successful. And, uh, you know, <laughs> it's pretty ridiculous like that anybody is able to do it. Right. We're just like, I have zero track record. I've never raised capital. Uh, I've worked at these companies that are notable, sort of. And uh, will you help me build this thing? And so what I ended up having realizing I had to do was I was going to have to use my own capital. Like I was going to have to pay my, figure out ways to use, you know, my, use my own money to pay these people to kind of be the catalyst to help join me. Um, so yeah, like I sold everything to do that for the most part. Yeah. Went from having like a race, two race cars, like a nice savings account, 401k, all that stuff. And all that went straight into Rapify. So, I mean, that's also another thing like you have and the, and the other, the thing that I love is I hear there, there are all these really amazing entrepreneur, entrepreneurial stories um, or success stories from folks that had like way less, you know, I didn't have a lot, but like people who, who've mm-hmm. created amazing brands and amazing companies that have started with like way less than that, like tiny amounts of money. So, yeah, I mean, like that was really, really challenging. But I feel like I've been talking quite a bit. So <laughs> I want to make sure I'm not, I'm... I, I love it when it's almost like my work's done for me. You know, I just get to sit back and actually take in the whole story and, and just, I mean, it's awesome. I love it. Um, there are so many questions. Wow. Like your story is amazing. There are so many questions that come out of that, obviously. I think one that really stands out to me is when you talked about everyone always has, you know, people have these moments where they come up with these phenomenal ideas and they're just like, this is it. Like, this is what needs to, you know, be created in the world. And everything's fallen into place in terms of timing and everything that you mentioned. And that's what happened with you. But for some reason, people don't act. And I think it's, I mean, we, you just kind of mentioned that so common, you know, how can we like gain the courage to actually act on it and do what you did, like sell everything that we have, maybe not that extreme, but, you know, even just to make the first move on that idea or on that vision that we have, like how can we gain the courage to do that? How can we do that? Well, so well, I, maybe I could better answer this by just explaining why I, I'm able to do that. So kind of going back to like academia, I was, when I say I wasn't a model student, I mean, like I barely graduated from high school. Like failure was something I just, like it didn't bother me. I I was not afraid of it because I was so used to it. And I think when when you have, like when you're just like, you're not afraid of failure and survival, because that's really, if you break it all the way down, it's a, it's, it's, it's the fear of death, you know, it's survival, right? Because if you don't have a job and you don't have money, then you can't afford a roof over your head and then you can't afford food and then you'll starve to death and then you'll die. Like there's that, like you're, it's a survival thing, right? So I think if you're not afraid of failing, failing, and you've also proven to yourself that you could pretty much do whatever you put your mind to, like you've proven to yourself that I know how to make money. Like I know how to get a job. I, I've done it before. I could do it again. Mm-hmm. Um, you get over that stuff. 
the fear of failure is probably the biggest impede, you know, the thing that impedes the most entrepreneurs because yeah, that's what it is. Like they might have that flash of like, wow, that was such a cool idea. Then they've kind of validated like, Hey, do you think this is a good idea? And you talk to a handful of people and like, yeah, that's a really cool idea. We should, you should definitely do that. And then they, they still don't do it. Right. They still, they still just kind of go back to work. Um, cause it's comfortable. So the, it's complacence maybe it's, but, but it's also like a risk thing, like the risk of failing and the risk of, you know, starving the risk of losing it all. Like, I think that, yeah, I think you, when you get over, when you get over that, uh, and you also believe in your, in your abilities, um, because you've proven to yourself that you're able to, to provide for yourself. then I think that, you know, a lot of that other stuff goes away and you could be really focused entrepreneur. I mean, I think, I think one other thing that's really important to mention is it's not necessarily responsible for everybody to think that way. Like if you've got mouths to feed and a family and a bunch of people depending on you, then selling everything, quitting your day job, and then going and starting a startup is irresponsible. Like you're an asshole if you do that. So that's kind of like, that's, that's kind of my, at least my, you know, my take on it. I love it. How do we get over our fear of failure? Fail. Yes. (laughs) The best way to get good at anything is to do it. Mm. So yeah, you got to get good at failing. You got to get good at it. Getting good at failing means that when you fail, you recognize what you did wrong and then you get better. Right. Being bad at failing is failing, doing the same shit and then failing even worse. You know, like that's, and that, that just means you're, you know, you're out of touch or you're not, you're, you're, you know, reality is just not really there for you. Mm. But yeah, I think it's, it's, it's a matter of, yeah, failing, Love failing. It. I couldn't agree more. And I think that, I think your advice on that coupled with when you prove to yourself that you can do it, you know, you can kind of do anything. You can get a job. You could kind of make money for yourself, that kind of stuff. Then what's kind of, what's the hassle? Go for it. So talk to me a bit about, um, I want to dive more into obviously your company, but before we do, I talk to me a bit about the, that time where you said you were working, you know, full time, pretty much you were studying at night, you know, I saw that you, you were like the marketing director at scale matrix and then Ingram micro, you also did digital marketing there before you started your company and sold everything. Talk to us a bit about how you got those opportunities with, you know, no degree, that kind of thing. And how you then like made your way up the ranks, I guess you could call it. Sure. So, um, you know, when I was, when I first started working at scale, also scale matrix, I, I knew one of the guys that was, uh, that was one of the founders. Um, it was a startup. They, my, my background in, uh, marketing, basically in, in, in marketing for, a bunch of the different, uh, you know, a bunch of the different kind of agency style clients I had that kind of led to scale matrix as being more of like, almost like a consulting gig in the beginning. Uh, and then, you know, it started picking up steam and they, they wanted to hire me full time and I was still going to school and I was pretty transparent about that. And then it got to the point where it was, I had to pick because Mm -hmm. I was at the very, very tail end of, of university 
and the only classes that I had left were only offered during the day. Like I went to the dean, asked if I could, if there was a way for me to take the coursework, um, you know, at night or or just do the work and test and get everything. And they they refused to accommodate me, so I basically just stopped going to school, um, which really sucked. You know, I was actually it it bummed me out because I really wanted to do it again, like. But then I, then when I, the, the, the more I dug down and really realized I wasn't really doing it for me, I didn't care. Um, so yeah, then that, that, uh, being, a you know, being the marketing director at scale matrix, my, that, that company is a data center and cloud business. Uh, and in Southern California, there wasn't like a huge ecosystem of, technology marketing folks like there there just wasn't like i was one of the i the the pool the talent pool of folks that had cloud computing ex, like experience and in industry knowledge base and then also you know digital marketing which is what i'm i'm you know that's really my bread and butter at least my that's what i spent my most of my career doing um you know this opportunity came came about which was you know couldn't really couldn't really turn it down Love it. Okay. Very cool. It always, it seems to me like you're just, it's almost like textbook entrepreneur. It's like self-starter. It's like all well, if I, you know, I'm just going to do it my way, like all of that. How do we develop that kind of mentality and kind of, you know, go against the crowd, you know, when everyone else is finishing off uni, you're at the tail end of your degree and you just think, you know what, stuff it. I'm going to go and, you know, grab this opportunity and run with it. How do we develop that mindset of just kind of, you know, that self-starter mindset, kind of diving into things that kind of just seem right and going with our gut as opposed to just following the crowd? Um, well, that's not a, that's pretty, that's a difficult one because, following the crowd is sometimes a safe is a safe bet. Uh, and it's again, like going to, like I use the word safe, like it's, 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 you know, it's safe. It's a safer thing to do. There's a lot of people doing it. Therefore it's, you know, it's an okay thing to do. It's acceptable. It's safe. Um, have you ever been in line at like a check stand and you're like approaching the line, you notice there's a huge line. People are just, getting in line and they, but they don't know why they're getting in line. But then there's like an, uh, an open check stand off to like the right or the left. And you just walk up to the front of it. And the lady or the man who is operating the check stand, uh, like just checks you out and you, you walk past all these people and they're all looking at you like you're insane, but they just weren't observant. They didn't realize that there's this other line. That's kind of what this is like, you know, it's it sometimes that's what it feels like where you're just like, you know, all these people, they, they, what they thought they had to go to college. They thought they had to get a degree. They thought they had to have a, this, this amount of experience, this amount of experience and this amount of experience. When it's like, if you were doing all that when you were a teenager and you were doing it like, cause you were really interested in doing it. And then you got a lot of experience. Uh, your experience is actually more valuable now. Like if you look at, you look at some of the biggest companies in the world are, they're now dropping their, their, uh, their four year degree requirements because yeah, like if you're a front end engineer, for instance, or if you're any sort of computer engineer or software engineer, like having a four year degree does not matter at all, like at all. Right. So, uh, I think that that that's also the you know, times are changing a little bit. I think a lot of companies are kind of waking up to the fact that there are people that, 
are in their early 20s that could have a lot more experience because they went straight to work and and were self-taught and didn't go and sit in a classroom for four years. Very true. And I think it's, I think just that just so hit home when you said, um, you know, you don't need this much experience. It's not like no one can kind of tell you you'll be ready when you've got five years of university studies under your belt. You've got, you know, five years of corporate experience, whatever. It's like you almost can just go, I am capable and I can do it. And I think that you're a prime example of that and your story is, which is like why I've loved this discussion. Awesome. So I want to dive a little bit into Rapify. Obviously, you mentioned what it's about for everyone who doesn't know. It's um, an app that pays you to advertise on your car. Super cool. I was looking at all the advertising for it. It looks awesome. Um, So talk to us a bit about kind of those early challenges. So you mentioned the fact that bringing on board a co-founder was super difficult, getting something to buy into your vision. I also have had a similar experience, very hard to find someone you kind of gel with. Talk to us a bit about those early challenges once you'd brought on board your co-founder and kind of you were looking to build this vision. Um, so I'm, I'm going to talk about a recollection okay. because... It was not planned. Like I had the vision, the endpoint, but like how it all came together is like I still like looking back on it. It's pretty bizarre, like that it all happened. But I think it starts with like what do you want it to like? What do you? What is it? What does the endpoint look like? And then once you have that like that that vision of what it all looks like when it's created, uh, it all the gap fills itself, mm. right? But you gotta you gotta take the you gotta take the appropriate steps to fill the gap. But sometimes you don't know what they are and then you fall and you figure it out. So, so yeah, I, I you know, got, got my, my technical co-founder. Uh, there were certain things, he was really focused on DevOps and systems engineering. So more on the, like the architecture of the platform and the architecture of like what's running the platform and then, and all everything that goes into, you know, uh, running the software to, to actually make the business operate. So we still needed somebody to actually write code and build the actual software. So that started with, with a business requirements document that, that I built, which was, I think it was like 84 pages long after I finished it, where it, it had every single feature and how, you know, all the different, parties that would interact with that feature, how, how it all worked. Um, and I, I created that. I created uh, this, I worked on this, we made this video that was a fake, it, it was a fake uh, UI. It, I mean, I wouldn't say fake, but it was just like, it was a made up UI for an app that didn't exist yet. Uh, where we, we basically created a commercial for Rapify for recruiting drivers. And we use that video to, I use that video to, and we made it in my garage. Mm-hmm. You know, my, one of my really good friends helped, uh, helped film the whole thing. You know, my, my girlfriend, my better half, she helped, you know, with a lot of, a lot of different graphical elements and just helping build. We built this chroma key rig that held an iPad so we could create like a, an artificial, uh, like app on an iPad, which is, mm-hmm. which is pretty funny. And uh, yeah, we used that. To, I showed. I used that video to show people like what my vision was, and that sold it. Like that made people saw it, and people were like, "Wow, this makes total sense." So like getting people to 
to sign up for to become a driver. We use that to create this backlog of drivers before we launched. We use that to recruit talent. We use that to raise capital. Like we use that video to do to do a lot. And it was our promo video for um, driver acquisition for like the first year. And you know we spent mm-hmm. we spent nothing on it really. So, um, yeah, I mean that that was like seeing is believing. So I had the vision, and then I'm like, okay, I'm going to need to create a video or some some sort of visual to be able to show people like this is what it'll look like when it's actually working. Um, so yeah, that was that was the beginning. Uh, then once we you know we brought on. Uh, he brought on another another engineer who who ended up becoming a co-founder, um, and then you know we we I built out a ne- my my operational staff for operating the network of installers that do all our all installations nationwide, um, and these are people that you know one of them was a very good friend before Rapify, another one was a guy that I used to do business with when I was at Scale Matrix. Uh, and, and had, indus- I knew he had industry expertise and knowledge in the, the vehicle, uh, wrapping and signage industry. So like all, but they, these were like, these were just kind of like, oh yeah, well that guy could totally help. So we should talk to him. And then that turned into him going, wow, this is so cool. Like I want to be a part of this. Um, so that, you know, the, the formation of the team was really like serendipity. You know, a lot of it was just previous, previous relationships, people that I've like met through various tough periods of my life. And then, you know, the people that they knew. And then we kind of just created this, this little group and Jason Calacanis saw that video. Uh, he, and then he brought us, he added a spot for the the launch incubator, which is his incubator uh, up in San Francisco. And then, yeah, we like, we started to talk about failure. We started, the first day of the of the uh, of the uh, the incubator, we're supposed to pitch, and, and the whole thing is about developing product through the pitch. And I mean, I totally my my presentation like didn't load, and I just it blew it. And I was I was wearing like a I was wearing like a blazer, and I was I just was totally not dressed yeah. the part for Silicon Valley. I, like my I was using a I was using a I can't remember what the present uh, it was Prezi, but it was like an early version of Prezi. So it was super just, it did. It was just like, I thought I was the shit. I thought I was going in there super well prepared. And I turned, turned out to be like the worst presenter. And the guy that was standing in the front row, and this is a tiny little auditorium was Eric Reese. The guy who wrote the book on the lean startup is standing right in front of me, watching me just totally shit the bed. Uh, yeah. Like, and I didn't know, I didn't know that. I mean, I listened to his audiobook like five times. I didn't know his face. And then at the end there, Jason's introducing all these different entrepreneurs and folks that like, I don't ever, I never had exposure to in San Diego because they just don't come down here. And uh, yeah, I just like my heart like sank. Like I couldn't believe that that just happened. But yeah, I mean that, that we, we went through the incubator, we raised, we got better after each one. We, le- we left, you know, the end of the incubator being one of the top, uh, top startups that came out of that, that cohort, um, you know, we're one of the, one of the startups that's raised the most capital. We might've, might've raised the most, I don't know. I haven't really kept track of all the rest, but, uh, yeah, revenue 
capital raise, traction, like all those things. We were, you know, we were at the very, very top. So we we came out of that. Uh, we started getting a lot of traction, and then we, you know, we we raised our our Series Seed, which was backed by Avery Dennison, you know, six point something billion dollar uh, global material provider. So, and then I was also named the 30 under 30. So it was just like this meteor, like crazy rise. Um, and then we, we executed a, a sales strategy that just was a total failure. Like it was just a complete and total failure and revenue decline. We got, we got into a, uh, a lawsuit with one of our biggest clients at the time. And yeah, so revenue like nearly trailed off. We had a crazy burn rate. The sales model wasn't working. We hired too many, too senior folks before the model was fully flushed out. And yeah, we had like some really, really hard times uh, to the point of like, you know, the nearly, you know, it being the end. Um, and then we, we, we start, I started to realize like, oh crap, we, we made, we made a huge oversight on the type of seller and where, what their background is and, and how to ramp them up and where to where to pull them from. So we scrapped that entire original mm-hmm. sales team, really got super lean, uh, hunkered down, mm-hmm. like went back to having a bare, bare, bare bones salary. Uh, you know, and in the very beginning, I wasn't paying myself anything. Um, and it was, uh, it was tough. It was really hard because we had to kind of Mm -hmm. like re get this, we had this flywheel going and it was working and everything was awesome and nothing could stop us. And I'm on the top of the world. And then like, we just fell off of a cliff. It felt like, you know, and everybody's looking at us like, what's going on? Why, why didn't you, why isn't this happening? So we, we really just peeled back the covers and looked at like what we did, what, what, what were we doing before that was working? Like, what was I doing that was working? Um, and then when we introduced this new powerful sales team that we thought was going to be just the best thing ever, what was so fundamentally different about their background, their approach? And, and then we realized like, oh, wow, this is actually pretty obvious why this is not working. You know, there's, there's so many, there's, there's these really critical things that the folks that we hired just did not have. Um, so we, yeah, we scrapped that team. We started rebuilding it with folks that came up from, from the same mold that of, you know, the, the class, the, 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 the salesperson that was working. Um, we started introducing some new features, some new measurement features that were, that were not really existing before, uh, not before Rapify and really not before in the, the whole out of home industry. Um, and that, you know, those two things really come like transform the business. And we ended up raising another round. Um, you know, we, we, you know, we were, we're nearing profitability, like all these really amazing things start happening again. But I think, you know, that, that, that first near death experience, it kind of is a, it's a level set. It's like, it doesn't matter how, like what magazine you're, you're on or in, or how much capital you raise or who's whatever, like if you're not executing, then none of that matters. And it's forgotten so fast, right? Like there's only the, the, the shelf life for these big PR spikes is so short. It's like way shorter than you'd ever imagine. You could be on the top of the world and three months later you could be gone, you know? So I think that that's another thing that's really important to, uh, 
to, to be cognizant of. There's a bunch of books written about it. They, they call it the trough of sorrow, but like I got to experience the trough of sorrow pretty, like it was real. I read about it. I've heard about it. I've read, you know, blog posts about it. It's totally a real thing. Um, and everybody's got a different way of handling it. And some people don't make it out of the trough. You know, that's just the end of it. So I find it absolutely fascinating hearing the journey, hearing all that you've been through. And I just, a burning question I've been dying to ask is how did you, you know, you're on top of the word, literally what you said, the trophosaro, is that he, is that how the word? The trophosaro. Well, I didn't, I didn't come up with that, okay. but that's what, yeah. that's, so what that's what it's been referred to cool. as. Sure. Yeah. So, you know, you, you're on top of the world, you've won the Forbes, you're on the Forbes list, you're getting all this promo, media, everything. You're like, things could not be going better. And then the next minute, it's just like things are you're plummeted. How do you emotionally process that? You know, this is like your baby, you've been working on it for years. Like, how do you emotionally process that and then build, your, like get yourself emotionally out of that so you can start building again? Um. Well, you don't really have any, like when failure is just like not, it's just not an option. Like it's just, you have to, you're not really thinking about, okay. Like if you start thinking about like, oh, well, I mean, maybe this is not for me and you start having all that doubt or maybe like, maybe I shouldn't be doing this or that. Those are just thoughts that should not ever exist, right? Because you're doing this for a reason. It's hard for a reason. If it wasn't, then everybody would be doing it. Like the reason why we do this is there's so much to gain not just from a monetary standpoint, but from a fulfillment standpoint, like it is so fulfilling to build something that was just an idea between your ears, you know, and four years later have like the biggest companies in the world spending millions on your platform. Like it's, 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 it's a very fulfilling experience. Uh, the, I think that you got to just keep pushing. I think the other thing is you got to move fast and make de- you got to be able to make decisions very quickly. And it's kind of going back to that like fail fast, figure it out, make the next move. Like you're not you don't have time to kind of weigh out your 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 options because you have a cash burn situation. Like every single day costs a certain amount of money, right? And it, the amount of capital you have in the bank is your air. And if you run out of air, you're dead. So like, yeah, I think that also recognizing that you have to make, you have to make decisions to figure out like, okay, what am I spending my time on right now? Is it, is it a product issue? Is it, a, is it, is it a sales related or marketing related? What do I need to do to make sure I have more air? How do I pull what, what, what triggers do I need to pull and what levers do I need to pull to make sure, you know, we have enough capital to get to the next financial milestone. Like all those decisions need to be made very quickly. Um, I think, so yeah, I think there's a like siege mentality can't exist in the start, in the startup world. You can't have, if you, if you siege mentality is like a warfare term for, uh, you know, generals that kind of seize up and just, they, they end up losing the battle because they don't make a decision. Um, and it's the same thing with, with, entrepreneurship like you can't seize up like you have to just keep going you have to keep moving uh so yeah i think that the two to two primary things are if you have to figure it out fast and it's better for you to make it make small little failures to get to a quick 
uh, success or at least a pause to help elongate the trough to give you more cash to figure out what the solution to the problem is than do nothing and run out of cash, right? Couldn't agree more. And I think it's, I already know the tagline of your episodes, like when we fail fast, the value of failing fast, something along those lines. Um, I love it. And I, yeah, as I said, I couldn't agree more. Um, before we start to kind of wrap up and whatnot, I want to dive into something that you mentioned that I think is so valuable and that we talk a lot about on the show, which is an idea of of pursuing fulfillment, you know, doing work that's fulfilling, whether it is finding a job that you're just so in love with or an industry or building a startup, whatever it may be, what advice do you have? Like what advice would you give to some of our peers out there listening? You know, maybe they have an idea, maybe they they kind of, kind of have an idea around what they think they're going to love the most in terms of work. You know, how can we figure that out? How can we figure out what work's going to be fulfilling for us? Uh, do it on somebody else's dime before you go and make the leap. I think a lot of people, uh, especially like millennials in general, they want to be able to make uh, an impact. Uh, and they think that making an impact is fulfilling and they, but the, the problem is we live in this instant gratification environment where like they expect to make an impact in like six months of working at a job. And that's just like not realistic. Like you can't, yes, you could do some cool things or some projects and maybe you will make an impact in a short period of time, but like, that's not realistic. And your resume won't, won't reflect that. Like you can't have a bunch of six month, eight month, 11 month, year and four month positions and be like, yeah, I made an impact at every single one of those jobs that I couldn't stay doing for a year. That's like not a good way to, to, to be employable. Um, so I think that, yeah, I think the first thing is like take making an impact off the table. First, find what you love, because if you're really good at what you love doing, you're going to make an impact. You're like that. That'll happen. That'll that like that solves itself. I think that a lot of people put the cart before the horse and they they try They think that making an impact will make them fulfilled. And that's just like that's just it's a, it's a fallacy. Mm-hmm. I, at least in my opinion, it's a fallacy. I think that creating, doing something that's really fulfilling that you absolutely love, like that cultivates impact. So, yeah, I think that, and do it, but you could figure all that stuff out while working for somebody yeah. who's going to teach you a lot about how to be better at whatever that is. You know, it doesn't matter if you're being an, if you're an entrepreneur or tradesman or whatever, like if you want to be a great welder, you don't like try to make an impact at all the machine shops. Like that's not a great way to become a great welder. Become a great welder. You work at a machine shop and work under somebody who's a, who's a master, right? You get men- great mentors and people to help guide you. Like you built that support system, that support net around you. You could still be a professional and, and do that. You could still work for somebody and make an impact. Mm-hmm. But if you work for somebody and you're great at what you do, you're going to make an impact. Like I have employees that are, so well, that that truly are passionate about what they do and they care about their craft, mm-hmm. which uh, in the U.S. that's not necessarily the that's not commonplace, right? There are so many people that go to work and hate it. You know, they hate Monday. Monday is a drag. They don't like the fact that the weekend's over. Which, like to me, that's so, that's so sad. Like for me, it's the opposite. I'm like so amped on Sunday night that Monday's about to happen. 
And then on Friday, I'm pretty bummed because like all that momentum that we built through the week, like all the cool shit that was happening Tuesday through Thursday, because Monday is the ramp up and Friday is the ramp down. Friday is kind of a bummer. So yeah, I think that there's, I think that there's like a totally different mindset, but I know what it's like. I know what it's like to be Sunday night and you're getting knots in your stomach because you just, you're dreading going to work because you fucking hate your boss or you just hate the project you're working on or you don't like doing whatever it is you're doing. I know what that feels like. So, I mean, I think that, yeah, I think that it's making sure you're fulfilled and love doing what you do because that, that's going to create, that's going to create an environment for you to have a, you know, fulfilling life and also be create impact. I love it, James. I couldn't have said it better myself. It's, I'm so excited for people to listen to this episode. Um, great. Well, look, I really appreciate you, James. I just want to take a moment before we finish up to just acknowledge you for all the work, the awesome work you've done and that you're doing for your story, you know, the fact that you failed so much in high school and whatnot and then have come out the other side building a phenomenal company that we can all look up to and kind of, you know, use your story or use what you've built as kind of that motivator or driver and an example that we can do it too. So we really appreciate you for that. Well, I appreciate that. We, I got a long ways to go. There's a lot, <laughs> lot, lot more to do, but uh, no, I really appreciate that. And uh, I really appreciate you having me on the show. Of course, of course. Great. So the final question is how we finish all of our interviews here at the Peers Project. And that is, what is the value of pursuing what you're most passionate about? Fulfillment. Total fulfillment. Yeah, that's, I mean... That, that there's nothing else. There's nothing else I could I, I could I could think of that's more important because you can't have you can't have abundance without being fulfilled, right? It's just like a you know if you just what's like the definition of full, right? It's there's no more abundance is more than more than the more than the container that you have, right? So yeah, I mean a lot of people want abundance, but you can't have abundance before you have fulfillment. So it's like, like the glass of water, you know, the water's, the glass is completely full uh, for it to be abundantly overfilled with water. You have to first fill the glass. So I think that, yeah, fulfillment is, is, is the goal. Love it, James. This has been absolutely awesome. I so appreciate you. I'm so excited that you've been on the show and where can people learn more about you and Rapify? Uh, I mean, I don't really do a whole lot on social media outside of LinkedIn. So link definitely follow me on LinkedIn, uh, follow Rapify on Twitter. Obviously, you know, Rapify's website's a great place to go to learn more about becoming a driver or being a brand that wants to leverage us. Um, we only, we're only in the U S today, but, uh, maybe we'll be in Australia here soon. Um, make sure. Yeah, no, I'd love to. I'd love to be in Australia. <laughs> love it. Awesome, James. So appreciate you. Thanks so much, so much once again. And for everyone else listening, we will end with that. Peers, that's a wrap. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. We hope you've enjoyed your introduction to our latest guest peer and that you find them as gung-ho as we do, which is our way of saying inspirational. For more, make sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or any app where podcasts are played, and leave us a review. We produce with
passion. And it doesn't stop here. To see what else we're up to, visit thepeersproject.com or follow us on Instagram at thepeersproject. We'll have fresh, real talk for you next week, peers. Until then, if you need inspiration, look amongst your peers.